Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here this morning. Lord Jesus, we invite you. Father God, we just thank you that you're here with us, that you're always with us this morning. Lord, just come and speak to us this morning as we go into your word, as we dig into your word, Lord. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our, our spirits, Lord. Let your word come and transform us. Let it change us, Lord. Father, we just break off any distractions that we may have brought in with us today, anything the enemy is trying to do uh, to prevent us from hearing clearly from you this morning. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Come into this place. We welcome you here this morning. We just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this summer is a season of transition in some ways. And um, remember I mentioned earlier in the summer that uh, we are uh, kind of in a restart for the church. And so as we are looking to restart, there's foundational work that always needs to be put in place. This understanding of who we are and why we are and what we are trying to do and what we are trying to be. And so we started in January... I'm sorry, in June, uh, by, by talking about a discipleship model, a rhythm that we were trying to uh, implement into the church. And it was actually something we had years ago, uh, decades ago, a little over a decade ago that we were doing it, and then it kind of got bookshelved, and we forgot about it. And uh, the Lord, um, there's a group of us who, who are working together, trying to figure out what it is that the Lord wants to do in this church that's trying to co-discern uh, where we're going and what we should do. And, and the Lord brought this back to our attention. It was something that we called MG3 back in the day and still today. And it was four letters, an M and three Gs, uh, that, that we felt created a rhythm for the church. Uh, the, the first one was meet, uh, this, this idea of meeting with Jesus. Are you meeting with Jesus daily? And the importance of that in our, in our spiritual life as we grow. If we're not meeting with Jesus, uh, then we're kind of adrift. And this is the foundation of, of what our faith should be, of, of where we're growing. Uh, the second one was, was uh, the, the first G, the second letter was grow. Are we growing in faith? Are we growing in community? And what are we doing to, to do that? And, and this is more dealing with with study and discipleship and uh, being a part of the community. This is the, the, the idea that we grow as we grow together. The third one was give. How are you giving to the community? And this is all about service. You know, the Bible talks about one another's, love one another, serve one another, take care of one another. How are we investing in each other's lives? And, and we looked at, 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 at our gifts and we asked the question, you know, how are we taking the gifts that God has given us, the spiritual gifts, the, the, the financial gifts, the, the whatever, the things that the Lord has put into our lives and how are we investing that? How are we giving that back? Our time, our talents, our treasure. And then the final one we looked at was go. And, and this was the question of what are we doing outside of the church? Matthew 10 is one of my favorite verses of all time. As you go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, 
cast out demons. Freely you've been given, freely give away. This idea that, that what the Lord has done for us is not just for us, but something that we're supposed to, to take out into the world. And, and we kind of let that float for a bit. Uh, we, we said the question for that was, you know, as you go, who did you bless? And I hinted that in July, we would begin to unpack what go really looked like for us as a church. What, what the mission that God has called us to do. How we interact with our community. How we evangelize. And what that was going to look like. You know, as we looked at the letters, it's interesting. The first three are somewhat internal. They're things that we either do personally or they're things that we do here in the church. We do as a community. But go is different. Goes different. Goes outside. Goes about telling people about Jesus. And it's all something that we know we're supposed to do, but it's also something that many of us are afraid of doing. I mean, think about it. We've got this picture of our mind of what uh, evangelizing to the world looks like. We have a picture of like a, a, a street corner preacher or that annoying friend who always seems to be telling everybody about Jesus and, and annoying them in the process. And, and when we step back, we think, you know, I don't know if I want to be any of those guys. We become fearful of that. I have a good friend uh, who's a pastor here in town, and uh, he's, he's a missionary. Uh, comes from missionary background. And so every now and then, he takes a group of people and goes into one of the parks and brings some speakers and does a good old-fashioned gospel presentation in the park to whoever will listen. And I think that's cool. But I don't have the personality to go and do that. He's comfortable with it. I struggle with it. And, and, and I would assume that many of us feel the same way. We know it's something we're supposed to do, but we struggle with it. See, But sharing our faith is still something that we are all called to do. Jesus makes that absolutely clear in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. He says this, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is clear. He's called us to go and make disciples. To go out and make disciples. To go out to the lost and draw them to Him. But we struggle with that. We struggle with the how. How do we do that? Well, we're going to spend the next couple weeks trying to answer that question. Trying to unpack that on how we can do that as a community, as a church. Each one of us. But before we do that, we need to fully understand the why. Why are we supposed to do this? Why is it so important to do this? To do that, we're going to start with Mark. So if you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. If you don't, uh, it should be on the screen. Mark, Mark 12, 
verse 28. It says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, or asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt, uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. We've heard this passage probably a lot of times. A lot of churches grab this passage and make it uh, their, their mission. Love God, love people. And, and any understanding of how we are as followers of Jesus to live our lives really starts here. This is the picture of what it's supposed to, supposed to look like. And I really like what Jesus says at the end there. When he looks at them and he says, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God with that understanding. Now we claim to be kingdom people. So we need to understand what this means. And we need to figure out how to live it. So let's start at the beginning, verse 29. The most important uh, one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, or with all your mind, and with all your strength. That passage comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's, it's something called uh, the Shema. Uh, this is a prayer that the Jews are supposed to say every morning continually. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Now, when we read it, it seems a bit confusing. Because we read it and we go, what is this Lord is one thing? What does that all mean? And, and what exactly does it mean uh, all your heart, all your understanding, all your strength? What does that mean? We struggle with that. We, we try to come up with explanations and simplified methods on what that looks like. Author Lois uh, Tivenberg wrote this and suggested that a modern translation of, of that first part of the Shema uh, should sound something like this for us. Listen up, Israel. The Lord is your God. He and He alone. You should love Him with every thought that you think. Live every hour of every day for Him. Be willing to sacrifice your life for Him. Love Him with every penny in your wallet and everything that you've got. Think about what that says for a moment. God is God alone. Nothing else. We start with that and we think at times they're talking about pagan worship, like worshiping other gods, worshiping Satan, or something like that. But, but that's, not, that's not what he's getting at. See, in reality, we see who our God is by evaluating our lives. And that's what the rest of the Shema does. It evaluates our lives to see what we truly worship. Every thought, every hour, every penny, everything we have, 
If God is our God, then all that we have, all that we do, all that we are, the entirety of our lives should reflect that. It should be seen in everything we do. Unfortunately, that's not how it is with many of us. We want to compartmentalize our lives. We want to give part of our life to God and part of our life to other things. This part is for church. This part is for family. This part is for work. This part is for recreation. We're told that boundaries are important, and yet, times they are. But we put boundaries up to separate God from the rest of our lives. Think about it. How much time do you give to God in a week? How much time do you give to your work for a week? How much time do you give to leisure for a week? There's an old teaching in the church about how we should handle our finances, right? 10% to God, 10% to savings, 80% to everything else. We divide our life somewhat like that. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not 10, 10, 80. It's all. All of it goes to God. Every aspect of your life goes to God. All of your finances go to God. Everything you do goes to God. Now, that doesn't mean you need to bring your entire paycheck to the church and put it in the basket, okay? And, and it doesn't mean that you're supposed to spend all your time in church. But what it does mean is that your life should always be available for God to use whenever he wants to use it. It should always be in a position where if God wants to do something at that moment, your life is available to him to do it. Notice what he says at the end of verse 33. It's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. That availability to God is more important to him than, than what you show. It's more important to him than, than what people see. It's what he really cares about. Now, there's a second portion to this commandment, and that's in verse 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we hear this, there are two ways that we can look at this. First, you know, love your neighbor like you love yourself. So how you love yourself, that should be how we love our neighbors. And for some of us, that can really get complicated if that's the motivation. But the other way we tend to look about it is how we tr teach our kids this commandment, right? Treat others the way you would want to be treated. So if you want people to speak nice to you, speak nice to them. If you want people to be generous to you, you should be generous. If you want people to treat you with respect, you should show respect. That's what we tell our kids, right? If you don't want kids calling you names, don't call them names. I think that's the way most of us look at this, but there's a problem with that. There's an assumption that everybody is like us. There's an assumption that everyone deals with, that we deal with, is, is just like us. And they think like us, and they act like us. Years ago, when I was in the corporate world, I had a co-worker uh, who was a single mom, and Mother's Day had come up, and we got to work on Monday, and I looked at her and I said, how was your Mother's Day? She had a, a, a young, I think it was a preteen, 
uh, son. I go, how was your Mother's Day? And she goes, well, it was interesting. And I said, really? And I said, she goes, yeah, my son got me a Mother's Day gift. He got me a video game, the video game that he wanted. And I opened it up, and I saw the video game, and he's like, isn't this great, Mom? This is the, ga- this is the best video game of all time. And she goes, yeah, but I don't play video games, and I don't like video games. And he goes, oh, well, I do. Can I play it? I think many of us, we look at other people like that. They're just like us. And so what we like, they probably like. And and we struggle when they don't like what we like. See, the reality is, I think the meaning is more like this. Love your neighbor who is like yourself. You think your neighbor is weird? Well, guess what? They probably think you're weird too. See, your neighbor is like you in the sense that their life is just as messed up as your life is. Tieferberg says this, all people, including ourselves, are flawed and sinful, but we need to love them because we ourselves commit the same sins. We are alike in our weaknesses and frailties. We are to love those who do not seem worthy because we ourselves are unworthy and need God's mercy. See, when we look at our own lives and we put it in in the light of God, in the light of Yahweh's righteousness, in the light of who Jesus is, we discover that we're not worthy. We shouldn't be anywhere near Him. We have so many flaws, so many issues, so many sins, so many things that should separate us from the goodness of God. But it doesn't. Because of God's grace, because of His mercy, He has given us a way to to have relationship with Him, to be with Him. We've experienced that grace. And that's what should be pouring out of our lives. As we've received God's mercy, we need to be showing God's mercy to others. Now, Now consider that about loving your neighbor in the context of the first part of the Shema. God is commanding us to give Him availability in the entirety of our lives. And when we do that, we can begin to show God's love and mercy to our neighbors because we received love and mercy from God. We're called to pour out of our lives what God has poured into our lives. That's what loving your neighbor is supposed to look like. The grace, the mercy, what God has given you, you pour out. Now, it's easy to say that, but sometimes it's extremely difficult to put it into practice. How do we show God's love and mercy to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our colleagues, to those who are part of our lives? I mean, we have a church, as a church have asked this question for years, and we've struggled with it. And, and it, it seems to get to this point where we have this belief that you need a certain personality. You need to have a certain personality to do this well. And we've met these people who have that personality, who just gather people around them, who are charismatic, who, who can just, you know, boom, they go and do it. And we evaluate our own lives and we think, yeah, I, I can't. I try to do that and I, I feel like a fool. See, that mindset, what happens is when we live in that mindset, it causes us to do absolutely nothing. We wait for other people 
to do it because we feel like we ourselves can't or shouldn't or aren't called or aren't gifted. I don't have the gifting of evangelism, so I can pass that on to somebody else who does. But Jesus' command in Matthew 28 wasn't just for a couple of us, it was for all of us. Go, make disciples. Go and do it. So how do we all do it? How do we all have the ability to do that? I was reading a book the other day by uh, Dave and John Ferguson. Uh, Dave Ferguson is a pastor of a large church closer to Chicago. And there was an interesting story that really, um, that really affected me. And um, and it goes like this: blessers versus converters. That was the subject line in the e- the email said. I didn't know who sent it, but as I read the context, I could see why the author was so excited about his doctrinal dissertation. This might be the first time I ever used the term excitement and doctrinal dissertation in the same sentence. The sender shared a single chapter titled Blessers versus Converters that cited research based on two teams of missionaries who went to Thailand. While both teams went with similar goals, they carried two distinctly different strategies. The converters group went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing. Their goal was to save souls. The blessers group explained their intentions like this. We are here to bless whoever God sends our way. The study followed both the converters and the blessers for two years. And at the end of that time, the researchers discovered two key findings. First, the presence of the blessers in the community resulted in tremendous amounts of social good. It appeared, according to the study, that this group contributed to the betterment of society, community life, and the creation of social capital. The presence of the converters, however, seemed to make no difference in the community at all. The second discovery, and this was the very surprising, was that the blessers saw 48 conversions while the converters only saw one. The blessers group saw almost 50 times as many conversions through being a blessing than the group that was only trying to convert people around it. Bottom line was this, the best way to accomplish is Jesus' mission of helping people love others and to come to know the love of God for his people is to become blessers. You know, that should make a lot of sense to us. It should make total sense to us because it's how God likes to work. It's how Jesus worked in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And it's it's how God called Abraham in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The story of the call of Abraham goes like this: The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. 
Notice what God tells him. He doesn't say, go out and tell everybody about me and get them converted so that they follow Yahweh, not all the other gods. He doesn't say that. Instead, what he tells them is that he's going to bless him so much that that blessing is going to pour out of his life, and through him, he's going to bless the world around him. He's going to bless the nations. Now, we know the story, right? It was through Abraham that Jesus comes, and Jesus brings light and life to the world. But the picture of Abraham here is that his life was to be a blessing to those around us. And so I think that's the call that God has placed on us as a church. To be a blessing to the people around us. And to do that, we've come up with a real sick, simple acronym to the word BLESS. That's going to help us become a blessing to the world, but more importantly, to become a blessing to those around us. And it goes something like this. The B stands for begin with prayer. I want you to take a moment and think about the people that are immediately surrounding your lives. Think about your neighbors. Think about your co-workers. Think about your friends or family that don't know Jesus. You can go up to them and you can say, you're a sinner, you're going to burn in hell, you need to come and find Jesus now. Don't you know he died on the cross for you? And they're going to look at you and some may convert and repent. And others are going to look at you and think you're wacko and turn around and Instead of doing that, what if you begin and pray for them? I mean, not like go up to you and can I pray for you? No, just pray for them. What would that look like? If you took a couple minutes every day and just prayed. Lord, I pray for so-and-so. I pray for my neighbor, that they may come to know you. Boom, done. Begin with prayer. The second step is, Al, listen. We like to talk. We really like to talk these days. And we want to make sure that people hear us and get our point of view. You ever be in a conversation that you were so busy trying to figure out how you were going to respond that you didn't actually hear a word that the person said? I'm guilty of that. What if we stopped and just listened to people? Listen. People want to be heard. They're desperate to be heard. Take some time and listen. The third one, E, is my favorite. Eat. There's something amazing about sharing a meal with someone. There's something intimate about it. There's something just absolutely amazing about sharing a meal. It builds relationships. What if we ate with them? Went out for coffee. Went out for lunch. The next one is the, the first S. Serve. What if we served them next? Did something to help them? Your neighbor pulling out or doing some work on their house, what if you say, hey, can I give you a hand? What would that look like? Notice what's happening here. You're building capital, social capital. You're building trust. You're building relationship. You're allowing them to see into your life. 
which then leads to the final S. Share. Share your story. Witnessing basically means not that you know how to preach or you know how to be theologically accurate or give a sermon. It means you just tell people what God has done for you. And when you build that relationship, as you've been praying for the person, as you've been listening to them and fellowshipping and eating with them and serving them, that opportunity is going to come for them. They're going to come to you and say, why is it, as Peter writes, why is it that your life is different? Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these a lot more than I just did now. And we're going to talk about what they could look like in the life of our church. But before we do that, I want to close with just one final this past month has been really interesting. It's been really interesting for Cindy and I. Multiple words uh, have been spoken to us in the past month about people coming. Lots of people coming, some from a distance. We were at prayer uh, Tuesday night, and there was talk about a word about setting more chairs up and maybe not having enough room. Words like that usually are, are silly, not silly. They cause me to chuckle when I look around the room and think we don't need more chairs. But these words keep coming this past month. They keep coming, they keep coming. This past month, I've had multiple conversations with, with a bunch of different people. They keep coming and telling me there's, there's something different about this place. There's a different feel. There's something different about this Yeah, that's a word that we've heard about this place for the 20 years that we've been here. There's something different about this place. And the joke that Cindy and I have always had is that we're the like the best secret in DeKalb. I think all that's true. I think there is something different about us. I think the Lord is about to do something with us. And, and we're positioned in an interesting time right now because there's a hunger in, our, in the world around us. There's a major hunger the world right now is filled with division and strife. We no longer just put a high value on being right, but now we must be right while at the same time attacking, belittling, and dare I say, cursing those who disagree with us. We have this idea of we take no prisoners. They don't sound like us, if they don't talk like us, if they don't think like us, if they don't look like us, we need to destroy them. That, that seems to be the, the way of the world these days. Curses, anger, and hatred. And I think because of that, there's a hunger and thirst for something different. A hunger for authentic relationships. The relationships that are based not on rhetoric, but on love. Consider what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. If I can find Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 27. But you who are listening... I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What if we were a people who blessed others? That was weird. What if we were people who blessed others? What if we were not only different here, but lived our lives and acted in the world in a different way, in a way that they didn't expect? What if we were a blessing into, to our community? You know, this summer we've been looking at these two acronyms, MG3 and now BLESS. And it would be so easy just to dismiss these as what we've always done. You know, churches love acronyms. We love them. But we live in a world that's searching. They're searching for authenticity, an authentic life, an authentic spirituality, an authentic faith. MG3 helps us to become that kind of a person where we're living in authenticity. Where we have a faith that's deeper than just an inch deep. We demonstrate that authenticity, that authentic life, that authentic spirituality, that authentic faith, not by what we say, but by what we do. By being a blessing to the world around us. I believe in my heart of hearts that we are on the precipice of something that God, a great move that God wants to do. And I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people who are sen sensing it in the world that we are on the precipice of a tremendous move of God. And my belief on this is it's not going to be about a single charismatic preacher or, or a single church that ushers in a revival, that it's going to be something that God does in, in, throughout his entire church. That God has a heart to see the lost come to him. That God has a heart to bring his children back. And God has always done it the same way. Jesus has always done it the same way. He does it through His people. We have a choice. What kind of people do we want to be? We can hunker down in here and we can pray for ourselves and we can experience this place for ourselves and just enjoy it for ourselves or we can go out We can be a blessing to the world, just like Abraham was called to be. And we could see God's kingdom advance into people's lives. The, the, the challenge and the choice is for all of us. What do you want to be? My prayer is that we are people who bless. Let's stand and pray.
Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this journey that I know you've taken me on and, and a group of us on as well over the last several months. Lord, I thank you for this journey as we've, as we've begun to rediscover the heart you have for this church, the heart you have for us, the heart that you have for DeKalb and the surrounding community, and the heart that you have for the world. Now, Lord, we just, we just come up to you today. Fathers, I have the, 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 the Shema prayer running through my mind. Lord, make us a people that lives that out. Here, old church, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. all your strength. Lord, let us be a people that lives that out every day. And Lord, the areas of our life that we've held back from you, Father, begin to illuminate those to us. Allow us to see the things that we're holding back. Lord, begin to put a flame inside of us for the things that you're doing in this community. Lord, allow us to see the people around us who, who you see. Lord, allow us to see the people that, that we ignore, who don't know you, but Lord, you know them, and you desire to be in relationship with them. Oh Lord, allow us to see the work that you've already begun. And Lord, give us the opportunity to participate with you. So Holy Spirit, come. Come into this place. Lord, begin to fill us with purpose and with call and with mission to go out and be a blessing to the world. We're going to sing one last song, but I really sense that the Lord wants to do some ministry today. And I, I really sense that, that what it is, is there are some of you who really believe that, that you're called to go out, that you're called to make a difference, but there's, there's just something that's preventing you, be it fear, be it anxiety, be it a rebuke. And I think the Lord wants to minister to that today, that the Lord wants to come and, and begin to break some of that stuff off to release you into the things that he's called you to do, to release you into those relationships to begin to draw people to him. I don't know many people who follow Jesus who don't want to see someone come to the Lord. 
I don't know many, but I know people who are afraid. And so if, if that's where you're at, then I want to invite you to come up as we sing this final song, and, and we want to pray for you. And I, I think the Lord wants to do other things today, too. The Lord's always here to heal. And so if you need prayer for anything else, feel free to come up.